Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Before we get going, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to sit under it. Lord, we ask that during this next time of, of worship that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, give us minds to understand, hearts to receive your word. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. So uh, we're about to read a passage in, in which some might say there, there's no issue here. Like, I, I don't see what's going on. I mean, Jesus just kind of sounds mean, right? Because in our culture, what was once considered the great sin, C.S. Lewis called the great sin pride, right? Uh, what was once considered the great sin is no longer seen as that big of a deal anymore. Rather, today, the great sin of our culture might be that that you're not giving yourself what you deserve, right? Uh, that you're not being you. And, and, and pride, particularly spiritual pride, we find throughout Scripture is so harmful. Thomas Aquinas said spiritual pride is the opposite of grace. That if grace is the undeserved favor of God on your life, then pride says, I deserve it. So if, if life is going well, then pride says, well, look, I've worked harder. I've worked smarter. I've done more. So I deserve it. All right. Well, 2000 years ago, Jesus was invited to a, a, one of those major social events, like a big time dinner party where the guests all that were, were there, they were sizing each other up, comparing each other and grasping for the best seats, you know, particularly thinking and privately thinking they deserve it. And Jesus used that occasion, an occasion which, by the way, mirrors so much of our life, uh, not only to give us, you know, well, one, just dinner party etiquette, just like social etiquette, uh, but but really to remind us of the kingdom etiquette. And so with that, let's let's go to this party with Jesus in Luke chapter 14. This is God's word. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Well, then Jesus took him and he healed the man and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that is falling into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to those things. Now, Jesus told a parable of those who were invited. When, he, when Jesus told to those who were invited, uh, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Uh, we know the scripture says that all we are like grass, right? That grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word, right? No, God's word endures forever. So Jesus is teaching us kingdom etiquette through two scenes in our passage. First, at the Sabbath meal, Jesus tells us once again, as, as if we haven't heard it for the past three times, one more time, that in the kingdom, mercy trumps sacrifice, that, that mercy trumps sacrifice. As, as we mentioned two weeks ago, you would think that Jesus at this point would have just given up on the Pharisees. Right. And like so far, the Pharisees have, have done nothing but give Jesus a hard time give him trouble. And yet, how good is it to see Jesus continuing to pursue these people, to continue rubbing elbows with them? I mean, he's eating with them. I mean, if Jesus did that for the Pharisees, then couldn't there be hope for stiff-necked stiff, stiff people like us? Uh, isn't there hope even for the hardest-hearted God-haters? So Jesus knows that though there are entire groups of people who continue to reject him, there are still individuals within those groups who are his. And so he seeks them and he calls them to himself. So, you know, at first glance, this dinner invitation seems so sweet, right? Because Jesus doesn't have a family. Jesus doesn't have kids. Jesus is single. And so he's the perfect candidate to be invited over for a meal after worship, right? Sabbath meal. It's the perfect candidate for someone to invite him. But then as we read <laughs> further, we see what's really going on. Um, have any of you ever been to a meeting where pretty quickly it becomes apparent that everyone else in that room has already had a pre-meeting uh, uh, except for you. And you get into the meeting and you realize that the meeting is really about you, right? And everybody else is on the same page except for you. Okay. It, it became very apparent here that, that this wasn't a genuine invitation of fellowship, nor was this even a, you know, a, a theological intervention where the Pharisees, the lawyers, wanted to just talk to Jesus about some of his teachings. It, it, was, not, it was none of that. It was a total setup. So growing up, um, my family, we were friends with uh, some of the local game wardens. And this one game warden, he was like ex-special forces, and he was just a, a master at setting traps for poachers. And I'm not sure if this is legal anymore, so I may get him in trouble, but he's in Alabama. So, um, so he would set these traps for, for poachers, and he had this mechanical deer, and he would put it in this out in this field, this like certain known uh, spotlighting locations. He'd put this mechanical deer out there, and uh, he would just sit there and wait all night, just waiting. And so, you know, the truck would pull up, spotlight would shine out, hit the deer, and then he would hit his little controller, right? He'd wag his tail, lift its head, kind of move a little bit. I mean, it's this, mo I mean, monster buck out, out here in the field. And all, all he had to do, he's waiting for, you know, the spotlighter to say, that's a real deer. And to pull the gun out, shoot, and at the shot, then our, our friend has got his poacher. He's got him trapped. Okay. So far, the biggest problem the Pharisees have with Jesus to this point has been that he just keeps on healing people on the Sabbath. Right? And so with that in mind, the Pharisee had laid the trap perfectly. I mean, there's a big old mechanical deer sitting out there in that field. There's, so he invited Jesus over for dinner so that he could, you know, eyes on him so that he can watch him. This isn't hearsay anymore. We, we're going to watch this. It just so happened to be on the day in question on the Sabbath. And then look who else just so happened to be invited. 
oh, I don't know, it was a man who just might, you know, particularly be in need of healing. A man suffering from dropsy. And real quick, there's not a lot of information on this particular ancient diagnosis other than this this person was retaining bodily body fluids. He was swelling up, uh, likely in renal failure, uh, kidney failure, uh, uh, organs were, were shutting down. And so this man, all we know is he was terminally ill and in all likelihood, not even in good enough shape to even be there. But but that shows you that that far from showing mercy to this ill man, they were they're totally using him. They're using this man. He's the stooge, which begs the question: You know, is there anything a self righteous person will not do? Is there any lengths a self righteous person will not go to justify themselves? No. All right. So for the time being, as you can see, I mean, it's like check check check. This is like the perfect trap has been set for Jesus. Um, Jesus is not a poacher. Uh, so um he poaches our souls i suppose right um so what what does jesus do well seeing this jesus turns the tables on them he reveals their their heart with what, just one question verse three he's he asks okay is it lawful to heal on the sabbath or not let's just talk about that is it lawful to heal on the sabbath or not and they didn't say a word you know why it's because if they had if they had ears to hear then right then they saw the hypocrisy of their hearts. Jesus had just trapped them because truth be told, the law of Moses, the law of God, has no issue with healing, no issue with, with mercy on the Sabbath. But in their own man-made, their man-made, more stringent teachings, rabbinical teachings on the Sabbath, they had established that... Um, well, they created customs in which it was very clear to them that it was not legal to heal on the Sabbath other than when life was in the balance. And this man, he was terminally ill, but he wasn't going to die that day. So he, this, this guy doesn't count. All right. Please hear this. Jesus is always offensive. He always offends us when we take man-made customs and we elevate them to the level of thus saith the Lord. Right? He, he always offends us when that happens. And so maybe something to do this week is just to think about, well, think about, are there things in your life or maybe even things in the church where we've, we've sided with the wisdom of man more so than the wisdom of God, that we've elevated something way above what it actually is to like, this is the way, when actually it's not the way of God. Um, because pride's involved there. You know, Jesus reveals their pride, our pride the way that we have this propensity to elevate our own teaching and our own understanding above God's word. Okay. So Jesus reveals pride and Jesus, so he took this man who they intended to use. He healed the man, sent him away. I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing. Cause like in that one sentence, like that's a major miracle, right? Like all these organs that were failing are no longer failing. Major miracle, man walks away. But Jesus wasn't quite done with their prideful hypocrisy. Um, I, I love that Luke gives like hardly any attention to this grand miracle, but Luke is so focused in on the reader being aware of the danger of our pride. So Jesus isn't quite done with them. Uh, so I, I grew up in, uh, so I, I grew up with a pasture beside my house and, um, this, this pasture had one of those old wells in it, right? Like a, a well was like huge hole in the ground with, you know, a, a rope and a bucket going down to the well, right? It's one of those old timey, you see in the cartoons type of a well. And as far as I was concerned, 
Like that thing went to the very center of the earth. Like I have never, still to this day, have never seen the bottom of that well. It's just huge blackness that just, you look down. And so growing up, a major rule for me that my parents gave me were, were just like, don't play near the well. Don't go near the well. Stay away from the well. Of course, that made me want to go to the well even more, right? It's like they're giving out free candy over there at the well. Um, and so, because we were always playing by it, my dad at some point built um, this huge structure around this just huge hole in the ground to keep, uh, I guess, to keep me and my brother out. And let's be honest, it's probably to keep the cows out, right? Because the cows kept walking into it. You know, cows are very curious animals, right? And so they'll curious themselves into a ditch. They'll curious themselves into a well. And like, if that happened in the 1980s, how, how common do you think that was in Jesus's day? How much more common? Because apparently livestock and even kids falling into wells must have been like at least somewhat common. And so Jesus said, you won't show this man mercy because it's the Sabbath. But if your child, heck, if your ox fell into a well on the Sabbath, would, not you, would you not get them out? And again, nobody said a word. But the obvious answer was, yeah, we're dropping everything to get this kid out. I mean, what would you do? You know, your child, some of y'all for your, your dog or your cat, man, y'all are like moving mountains to get this thing, right? Do y'all remember baby Jessica? Uh, 1987, baby Jessica, I mean, she's like this 18-month-old toddler. Just, I mean, barely walking, right? 18-month-old toddler toddled out of her aunt's house in Midland, Texas, and toddled into the yard, and there was this an eight-inch tube, right, a pipe, well pipe in the ground, and she just toddled right into that thing and fell down uh, and got lodged down in this deep, deep well, okay? All right, for 58 hours, anybody remotely close to Midland, Texas, who had some ability in digging up things from the ground, like put everything aside and they went there to help get that girl out. Getting that girl out trumped everything in the whole community, maybe in, even in the whole nation for that time, right? Well, in the same way, <laughs> Jesus is reminding us of something else that God has said many times, that mercy trumps sacrifice, that mercy trumps everything. That he, he hates the show. You know, he, he learns, we learn that in Malachi, that God hates all this religious show that we do. But he desires steadfast love over sacrifice. Earlier, Jesus only Sabbath said, I desire, I desire mercy over sacrifice. And so Phil Riken notes, unlike the Pharisees, Jesus understood the real purpose of the Sabbath, that it was not a day for trying to catch people in a moral mistake nor to gain spiritual merit by keeping laws that were even more strict than the law of God. But no, it was a day made for man. Don't you just love it when you get a gift like Christmas? You get a gift, and it's obvious that the, the giver put a lot of thought into that gift. It is like custom fit just for you. you. I mean, you love getting gifts where the people, were so, they were so thoughtful, right? What we find throughout Scripture is this the, the Sabbath was a gift from God to you. Like it was made for you, custom fit for us, for our flourishing, you know, for corporate worship, for, for rest, and then for also showing mercy to people in, in need. You know, we call that one anothering one another. So mercy, mercy. But then notice in, <laughs> if you've ever been to a dinner party and someone says something awkward and there's just like this awkward silence for a little while and you just don't really know what to do. And so the host just says, well, let's just, 
let's just get our seats. Let's just go eat. Okay. Well, that's what happened. They're like, well, let's just in the silence, let's just go find our seats. Let's sit down. And Jesus used this as another opportunity to teach again, uh, which brings us to our second point, the kingdom etiquette of gospel informed humility. So first point, mercy, second point, humility, gospel informed humility. So Jesus told a parable, he said, and this is kind of paraphrasing it, but if you're invited to a wedding reception, just so you know, the table at the front is not for you. Like That's not your table if you're invited there, right? Uh, the, the host defines who sits at that table. And, and we get that, right? Because most of us, we would have to be out of our minds to go to a wedding reception. And instead of sitting in the back with the rest of the, the guests, we assume that our name card, it must be on that front table. And never mind the bride and groom. I mean, I deserve to be up there. And so we just kind of pull our chair up to the front, to the front of the table. Well, in Jesus's day, uh, people would often eat their meals sitting in on couches. And so in their culture, say you have a three-seater couch of those three seats, the seat in the middle was the best seat. And I know we're like, we kind of like our armrest today, but the seat in the middle, that was the seat of honor. Okay. Well, in big parties, such as in our passage, they would take several small couches and kind of Ikea, you know, kind of put them together, push them together to make this huge U-shaped mega couch situation, which meant in their culture, in the big dinner parties, the seats at the, at the bottom of the U, the ones closest to the middle, those were the best seats. And so the closer you sat to the middle, that kind of was showing of kind of your standing in the or in that dinner party. The closer you can get to the middle, the better. And apparently, there were a lot of people who thought they deserved a better seat uh, at this party. It, it's interesting, right, how even little things like where we long to sit uh, or where we think we need to be re reveal a whole lot about our hearts, don't they? Um, I mean, despite all the religious posturing and, and false humility, the hidden pride in our hearts of I'm owed or I deserve more, like that really reveals more than we would like to about our own understanding of ourself, understanding of God. Um, so when I was in college, in at least in my little circle of, of friends, the, the greatest Christian artist of all time was this guy named Shane Bernard. And, um, and he did this cool thing on the guitar we called the triple strum. And so we thought, our little group thought that the best way for us to reach out to the college um, was to host a Shane Bernard concert. And, and so I was on the leadership team. And truth be told, the main reason I was all in on this was because I wanted unrestricted access to my favorite Christian artist. Okay, so we did the concert. The day came. Shane and Shane arrived. We're hosting. Uh, and it came time for what I'd been waiting on. It was the pre-show meal. Right? They eat before you, they do the show. Uh, where Shane was to eat with the leadership team. And in my mind, like I, I had seen it, right? This is it. It's, it's me sitting right next to Shane Bernard. We're eating Olive Garden together. And, and we're just talking about guitar. Let's talk about the triple strong. Okay, so I, I'm, if you can imagine, I'm walking into this. I've done all, I've set up everything. I'm walking into the mill and our big leader of our organization caught me and said, Richard, would you mind, could you drive the, their tour bus driver to the hotel so that the tour bus driver can get some rest? Um, well, I, I begrudgingly did, um, rushing the whole time, not wanting to miss anything. And this wasn't like, 
just a trip down Park Avenue. I mean, this is this was in Mobile, so like taking him to the hotel across town took took some time, right? And so by the time I got back, not only were of course all the seats near Shane, I mean, were taken, right? Um, kind of it was kind of dwindling down, and so I, I I grabbed my cold Olive Garden, I went over to the corner straining to hear what everybody was talking about all the while thinking what do you think i was thinking right um all the while thinking i deserve more like i helped put this on i helped build this right heck i was just serving their tour bus driver if anybody deserves to be closer it's me have you ever thought that have you ever thought that i helped build this church i deserve more like, do, you, do you struggle with discontentment, thinking that you, you need more, you deserve more? The kingdom teaching here, man, is so hard for us because this goes against almost everything we learn. And I suppose that it is, it is good to like teach our kids, like, if you want something, you go get that, right? However, in the kingdom and before the Lord, like this goes against so much of what we're, we're taught and how our lives are lived Monday through Saturday. That if you know if you do the work, you get the reward, and this happens even in the church, right? That even in churches there can be this kind of pecking order of deservedness uh, in the church. Y'all may have heard that when Hillsong Church was trying to establish its presence in America, they they rightly saw that as Americans we are all about some celebrities, and so they latched onto celebrity culture in an attempt to grow the church bigger. Um, thinking that if they could get the influencers and the celebrities and the athletes to come, then more people would come. And so when celebrities showed up to the church, they were ushered right past the two-hour long line of just regular attenders waiting to get into the church. And they were ushered up to their very special VIP seating, a place where not only could the celebrity get a really good view, but all the other worshipers could also get a good view of um, the celebrity. Um, well, that's one approach, right? All right. Contrast that with the seating arrangements of James Boyce's memorial service. And if you don't know who James Boyce was, so for over 30 years, he was the senior minister at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, um, not Mississippi, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, and he was man, just like a, a champion for gospel clarity, a, a champion for historic orthodoxy, theological orthodoxy. And so when it came time for his memorial service, as Phil Riken recalls, the church was like beyond capacity. People were flying in from all over the world to come to this thing. And so they decided to set up screens in other parts of the church so people who couldn't fit into the sanctuary could still be there and still, you know, watch the, the service. And Riken said that they also decided that they were not going to give any priority seating to anybody. Okay. Uh, Billy Graham came there. He would sit wherever wherever he got there. Uh, they would they would seat people on a first come first serve basis. Well, you can imagine that didn't sit well with some really high profile, religiously proud Christians. And in fact, he got a lot of letters after that. He in fact he got one angry letter from one high profile Christian who got there a little too late and so had to sit downstairs <laughs> downstairs in the basement in front of a screen. And in no uncertain terms, the individual said, I deserve better treatment and I will never worship in your church again. Okay. On one hand, what Jesus is teaching us here, it's just common social etiquette. It's just a good principle to live by. You, you don't have to be a Christian to benefit from this. Jesus says, Don't seek the higher place lest the host come and 
say tell you to move on down and you're so it's so humiliating take the low place and if the host wished to move you up to give you a better seat then fantastic you know francis schaefer famously used to teach that as christians we are those who we we just take the low place right and if God, if God in his sovereignty chooses to elevate us in authority and in position and responsibility, he will. And so we take the low place until, until God moves us up. So it's just a general principle, verse 11, everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled and everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. Okay. But this is where things start to take a turn. And, and this is where we'll start closing out. Jesus isn't telling us how to game the system, that if the fastest way to the top is just to start down low, and that's like express pass up to the top, then let's just do that. Uh, we're moving on up, right? It's, no, it, it's possible for us to go to the low seats all the while wanting everyone to see just how humble we are, right? When in fact, we are oh so proud of how humble we look, that we, we feign humility all the while thinking we deserve better than so-and-so. Um, some of us are writing a book called The Seven Most Humble People in the World and How I Met the Other Six, right? As, as Alistair Begg said, our business cards say, no, I am not conceited, though I have every right to be so. Well, of course there's a social etiquette here, but underneath, it, we know this, Jesus is really teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb, this is like a preview of that, our future. That it's as easy as it is to do this in the world or at a dinner party. How, how easy is this to have the same proud posture when it comes to the things of God? You know, to appear humble, all the while be eaten up with religious pride, thinking, I am so much better than so-and-so. Like, I have done the work and I have put in the time. I deserve it. God would be crazy not to include me and not to elevate me. And, and you know, even here, you know, for us in the Delta, we can say, look, we're serving in the Delta, right? One of the most underserved regions in, in the country. Of course we deserve more. And we say that, okay. I, I don't know how else, how else to say it, but, but if that is you, even if it's just for a little bit in that time, in that moment, you, you've missed it. We've missed it. You know, that pride reveals that, that you, that I, neither know ourselves nor, nor the Lord, you know, in that, in that moment. So to be in the kingdom is to know our utmost need of a Savior. And, and what's worse is we, we don't possess the ability to do the saving. You know, the, the kingdom economy is in a currency that we do not possess, you know. All of our money, all of our fancy cars, all of our land gets us no privilege in the kingdom. Like you're not ahead of anybody in the kingdom. And so to be a follower is to see that we don't have a leg to stand on apart from Jesus, our hero. That though our sins, man, they are so many, but his mercy to us is more. It's seen that our salvation and place in the kingdom has nothing to do with what we've done or accomplished. Actually, if anything, it's the opposite. You know, it's solely in the gracious work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, which means if we're brought in, then we are brought in only because of Jesus into the family of God, which gets us back to this passage. You know, the seating arrangements of the guest had nothing to do with their accomplishments, right? 
But everything to do with what? It's, it's the host, right? It's their relationship with the host. The host is the one assigning the, the seats. Y'all see this week, right? Deion Sanders, he's like YouTubing like basically his entire coaching career, right? Uh, so you, he kind of, it, it caught, caught news this week that uh, Deion Sanders and his coaching staff at University of Colorado, all of his players are starting spring training with no numbers. Did y'all see that? Their jerseys are blank. They're just out there practicing. And he said, of course, he's saying they got to deserve it. But, but what he's saying is you don't get a number until one of the coaches assigns you a number. And, of course, he is prime. He gets to assign number one. You know, he, he hands out who's number one on his team. It's kind of like that. God is the one who gives you the number. God is the one who does that. Several years ago, Annie and I went to a wedding reception with DeVeda. And uh, for those of you who don't know DeVeda, DeVeda was a longtime member of Westminster. And she was a true widow and a benevolence of our church, near and dear to many, many of our hearts. And as far as the social ladder in North Greenwood goes, you could argue that DeVeda was about as low as you could get. She was about as low as you could go. And yet when it came time, when we went with her to this wedding reception of a prominent Greenwood family, because of the relationship the family had with DeVeda, this, this nobody widow was, high, I'm talking highly honored, like, like higher than, than most of the movers and shakers in Greenwood. I mean, I, I feel like I might as well have rolled up with a celebrity, roll out the red carpet for DeVeda. And, and she was treated with such care. And she even, like, she sat with the family, okay? Not because of anything she did, but all because of this family's love for DeVeda. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, if God saves us, it has nothing to do with us deserving it. But rather, if anything, it highlights his sovereign mercy, his care and love for us in giving us what we do not deserve. So, so you know, this is the gospel, Westminster. That through the cross of Christ, Jesus died so that sinners like us could be brought in and made family. That in Jesus, we receive what, what we do not deserve. Forgiveness, love, and even the favor of God. And now if we have that, that will change us, right? Like we, we will see, start to see how unfitting religious pride is. How could we ever look down on anyone? How could we ever show partiality? Like, how could we ever jockey for a better place, but rather we respond with the psalmist and God's people throughout the centuries, by the way, in saying, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Just, just get me in the house. I'd, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the houses of the wicked. So it's to say, God, you are enough. Put me and use me wherever and however you want. Amen? Now, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that in Jesus, very much like debate on that, that really great wedding reception, uh, we show up um, not even really deserving to be there, but we show up, the red carpet is rolled out, you not only invite us to the outskirts, but you invite us to sit at the table with family. Thank you that in Jesus you have brought us in. And Lord, as we as we leave this these walls and we go out into the world, out into a world that says we got to earn it, remind us of our reality before you. 
of what Jesus has done, of our identity in Christ, uh, that we that we're in if we're in Jesus. Lord, those of us or those here who are not in Christ, who I'm speaking a foreign language, may you continue to work through your spirit to call them to yourself. Call them in, bring them into the family. Uh, Lord, help them to know forgiveness, to know love, to know favor of you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.